Hey everyone, welcome to episode 74, seems crazy, of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, and welcome to the live broadcast on Facebook. This is, as I mentioned, episode 74, and as you can see, it's the usual three are back again, and that's been, uh, it's, it's been a while since yeah. it's been just the three of us. Yeah. And so just as a quick review, we're doing this Facebook thing along with the podcast. So for you on the podcast, if you want to actually see a little bit of extra bits and pieces and behind the scenes of what happens. And this week is actually a little bit different. We are back in our old stomping grounds on second floor invading (laughs) Megan's office, which is much more comfortable, much easier to set up. It doesn't look quite as cool as the brick of the worship center and the, and the lights and everything, but maybe we'll start having someone put some inspirational (laughs) messages on the board behind us. But last week, our episode was entitled Scripture Alone, Sola Scriptura, by special guest Richard Hickam, where we decided that some of us from time to time are waiting for God to speak. And his advice was be still, read the pages of the Bible, and listen. Probably pretty decent <laughs> advice no matter when and where you are. But if you haven't listened to that or the podcast episode, you really don't want to miss either of those. They were very, very good. You can reach reach those, you can watch and listen to both on the church website, the church mobile app, anywhere that you find a connectivity to the internet. On to this week and mind the gap. And back in grade school, I had a teacher, you may know, or at least have heard the name Roland Brunts, who used no. to tell us to be prepared for big buck 95 words. These could be difficult to say, spell, define, or all of the above. (laughs) And the words we're discussing today in in conversation probably are not at the forefront of most of our active vocabularies. So let's just define what is orthodoxy. Well, you know what? There's a lot more people that knew about this word than I was expecting. Well, yeah, we have a medical um, audience, especially at the church. Um, but ortho is a Greek word for straight or to correct or no, just correct the right way, the right yeah. way. Yeah. So an doxy would be doctrine or teaching. So straight or correct doctrine, doctrine. teachings and orthopraxy. ortho would be correct behavior or practice or what we would call conduct. You can hear praxy practice. You can hear you know, yeah. 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 Okay. Conduct. So at the end of the day, you have two words that, you know, I don't know if I've ever said orthodoxy or orthopraxy, and for sure never in the same sentence or in the same conversation <laughs> yeah. probably ever in my life. But at the end of the day, what is the real-life application that we need to understand about these two? Well, it, it seems like I just don't want there to be – Simplistically put, it's practicing what you preach. Yeah, I thought that was – I thought in your message, I, I, yeah. I just – I wasn't here this weekend yeah. and I couldn't watch it online. So I just watched it a little while ago, and I, I thought that that – Simple, very known saying, practice what you preach, really does put the two together in, in a Because good it way. even defines a little bit of the tension yeah. That, yeah. that happens between the two of them. Yeah. And that's what minding the gap was all about. The idea was how do we bring those together? How do we keep the, the consistency between our belief and the things that we do? Because, or practice? because there's, a t- there's a tendency for people to get so wrapped up in orthodoxy mm-hmm. that orthopraxy goes out the window. Okay. And then there's a, there's another group that are so interested in doing the right thing for people, maybe in, in social justice or in just caring and loving ways, that they can sort of discount what you have, to, what you really ought to believe, or they forget even they forget. why they're doing yeah, it. Forget why yeah. they're doing it. It can do one without the other in their mind, and so it's minding the gap. 
is the reason we named it that. (laughs) So essentially then what you're saying is we're really working on kind of like everything else in Christianity and probably that should be in our (laughs) lives is we're really looking for balance, right? How those two balance out and how people can be affected by that. I think the warning sign that Jeff talked about a little bit is is to, to be cognizant if that gap begins to enlarge. We're wanting to narrow that gap. We don't want to be hypocrites, nor do we want to just be do-gooders, just saying the right things and believing the right stuff and never doing anything about it or doing it and not worrying about what you believe or forgetting why you do it or don't even care. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so to watch, and if you, if you begin to see the, the movement apart at all in practice and what you practice and what you preach, that sort of should be a, a headliner to wake up. Yeah, as I was talking about it, and, and Andy brought it up, that gap actually has really inherent problems as it continues to widen. And one of the biggest problems is that it starts to, the the practice starts to circularize or replicate the false premise of why I started the, the practice. In other words, instead of me going back or wanting to go back to a true, more correct, straight doctrine of, mm. of helping me, what it does is it starts to create this, the, as the gap widens, it starts to build false teachings that would correspond to my false behavior. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. it's this, it's this rep, self-replicating process that widens the gap. Um Ooh. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a mouthful right there when you think about what kind of what we're called to do to make sure that we're, you know, if, if one of our, one of the brother or sisters are out of line that we're supposed to be engaging each other and we right. really should know each other well enough that we can go and talk, you know, biblically how we should be approaching people. Mm-hmm. And when you start seeing those signs, oof, that can be a tough one yeah. to go, especially with some of the discourse that happens in today's world, that can be a tough place yeah. to stick your foot in and say, whoa. Well, and in our more behavioristic heritage, how's that for trying to be nice? (laughs) (laughs) There can be a change. We use Sabbath for an illustration. Uh, It's all about what I can and can't do on Sabbath. And we begin to, and and maybe we become very good at that. And very, you know, we start with welcoming Sabbath before the first star arrives. I mean, (laughs) we really do that. But in the process of that, we can get so wrapped up in that, we build a false teaching in our head about why we're even doing it. So right. that we, mm-hmm. instead of being a beautiful yeah. gift to be able to kick back for 24 hours and not have to strive to take care of ourselves, we begin to think of it as something we're doing to take care of ourselves so that we can achieve something for God. So he'll now appreciate us and, you know, and we'll be obedient. And I, <laughs> I mean, it's, and we start teaching ourselves the wrong things because we're not minding the gap. It's a good illustration because I think at least as Adventists, and I suppose anyone else picking their own topic that might be near sure. and dear or the one that they might struggle the most with. When you really think about it, you're at your heart, like you said, you're starting this process thinking, man, this really feels good. Yeah. Man, God was smart because I need a break and I need time <laughs> off. And oh yeah, who gave that to me? Man, thank you, God. And you're looking at creation. You're looking at the things he's given you. You're sure. counting your blessings. You're enjoying family. And then pretty soon it becomes more of a regiment, more than why did I start this in the first yeah. place? And then it becomes just another thing you throw in the backpack to walk along and trudge up the hill with. Well, it's like when the Israelites come out of Egypt and they get the law at Sinai. Here's people who've had to work seven days a week for hundreds of years as generation after generation had no Sabbath. They were, they're not their own. And now God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it. I mean, he's given all these, it sounds sounds like rules to us, but they're having to be told, Hey, it's okay. You don't work Mm. on Saturdays. Right. And then you go, you speed up to Jesus coming and the Pharisees and what they had done with Sabbath. 
is like, oh, my lands. These are just, <laughs> these, these seem like worlds apart a little bit. Yeah. But that's also a subject that on the backside of, you know, once you've kind of figured that part out, that people really disagree about mm-hmm. over, well, you know, is it, you know, how should we keep it? Yeah. How should we act? How should we? Probably I'll let it keep us instead of trying to keep it. Right, right. <laughs> but but there's been yeah. a lot of debate. I mean, growing oh, yeah. up, you know, there's, you know, if you're not in above the ankles, you know, you're okay in the water, or, you know, but don't have any fun. You know, and those are, those seem silly. But at the same time, those are the, sometimes just the beginning parts of where it becomes more and more. But it's not minding the gap. Because if, yeah, if, 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 if life and orthodoxy had been pulled together, it could never happen. Oh, I shouldn't say it could never happen. It'd be much more, much more difficult for it to happen. Yeah, I think the orthodoxy, when you push it further back, it, before we started to make it something that we did because somebody else did it. You know, so they did it. And, and our orthodoxy actually does get to be formed sometimes by that. We trust in this person. They taught that to me. Sure. Uh, you know, and so there's a, there's a level of that. Or, so it goes back to Jesus, much like what we think about when we think about communion. Um, because now we've got, we've got, when we do communion, people don't like some of the things we do. Like they would rather have the plastic. That's the way Jesus initiated is it was with plastic cups and little broken pieces <laughs> of bread. And, you know, and as soon as we say, well, here's a chalice, dunk you know, the intinction, people have a hard time with that because they think, oh, that's not the way we do it. You know, that. Yeah. And so we make, matter of fact, we always call this, this was an interesting thing. I didn't bring this up in my sermon, but abomination, which is an interesting word. We look at abomination as being something that is just horrific. But simply put, abomination just means it's not what we do. Oh, okay. It's not what's done here. Yeah. And I think it it kind of follows that joke that we used to have, you know, how the, the turkey was always cut on both ends. As a ham. Uh, as a ham that was yeah. cut on both hand, ends. And they said, why are, why are you cutting it on both ends? Well, that's because grandma says it tastes so much better and blah, 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 blah. Finally, they went to great grandmother and she goes, oh, the reason why we cut it on both ends is because I had a, my oven in the very beginning was too small to fit the whole ham. <laughs> so, so we have these orthodoxies that we believe but they're based on practices that just kept replicating the the wrong. And, the wrong. and part of mining the gap is to try to go back to great grandma yeah, yeah. And, and go back to scripture and say, what does scripture really teach? This this sermon really ties back to what Richard talked about last week. Mm-hmm. The, the, right. the it really alone, does. Because w- without a, some basis of authority, anything could become anything. But we have to take what we're doing and our practices today and say, is our orthopraxis driven by orthodoxy or is it driven by some tradition that just became mm-hmm. now? We think this is the way it has to be done because this is the way it has to be done. Or should we go back and look at Scripture and say, Scripture says, no, you do it this way. And, boy, that seems odd and different than it should be done. But we have to go back and look for the and I think, truth. I think that's what Jesus was doing on the oh, Sermon oh, on the Mount. My. Because yeah. that's what he, when he was saying, you have heard it said. And those were traditionally, you know, those were the things passed down to them. Mm-hmm. And he says, but I tell you. And what he's saying is he's saying, I'm telling you what that's, that law was supposed yeah. to be from the very beginning. Yeah, we read, read the Lex Talionis, like, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah, and we think, yeah. how terrible. You know, somebody knocks your tooth out, you knock their tooth out. So we see that as vengeful. Mm-hmm. And Jesus knows that that's not a vengeful saying. That's a, that was a saying to bring compassion and not hit back harder than you had been hit. Right. Now, it, was, it was a step in the right direction, but it can be twisted and people begin to practice it the wrong way. So Jesus is, is reframing, reframing and that. he's minding the gap. Yeah. yeah, that's the minding. So it's essentially 
checking your methodology by the theology of Jesus, Mm -hmm. essentially, making sure that what you're doing matches with what he's saying. And if you don't understand it, well, you probably gonna, you're probably going to get it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, we have uh, we have quickly started to uh, sorry about that dwindle yeah. our time, but that was perfect. It was all things we were going to look at. The one thing that I found really exceptional when you used a correlation of the Rwandan genocide, mm. and that's yeah. something that I've studied a lot on. And one year we were at Catalyst, there was a coffee company called Land of a Thousand Hills, which took Rwandans on both sides of that conflict and helped them to start coffee farms so that they could start sustaining themselves again. Mm-hmm. And people on this side and that side had to start doing business together in order to thrive again. Right. And that was part of the part of the mending process and part of the healing process. And the interesting part of that story to me is that Essentially, it's about 95% Christian, Rwanda. Right. Yeah. And even if that number's off a little oh, bit, yeah. it's still a huge... It's actually a little higher now. Is, is it yeah. higher now? Yeah. But when I think about that and always have kind of thought about the way that applies to us as Christians, because we can't just simply dismiss that as something, well, that happened over over no. there. Uh, no, and think it, about America's racial tension today. Right. I mean, right. It's, it's, it's different, but it, it's real. And part of it comes from the wrong primary identity. For a, Christian, for a nation to be 95% Christian and be willing to hack off each other's heads has to do with finding my primary identity in the wrong place. Once you're a Christian, your primary identity is, I'm a follower of Christ. Right. What is that demand of my life? And my secondary identity is I'm Tutsi or Hutu or I'm you know from this part of this country or that part of the country. Well, it's interesting now, and I said that wrong. I'm sorry. It was more Christian then than it is oh, now. Okay, okay. Uh, some Muslims have actually moved in and, and taken advantage a little bit of what that – which was probably a good thing. The diversity is good. Actually, right now, the government has made it mandatory that nobody is identified as Hutu or Tutsi or Twa. They're all just Rwandans. Right, right. Well, it's amazing that the only minister ever uh, convicted of war crimes <laughs> yeah. was an Adventist minister during yeah. that crisis. Yeah. And yeah. his son. Yeah. yeah, I've read about that. Well, it, it's interesting. You mentioned the diversity. So immediately I thought of, well, the hospital church is a very diverse community. Very. So how do we, even in just, I know we've had you know, how to debate, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with a little compassion, a little empathy mm-hmm. and debating with grace. How do we hold ourselves and or how does that happen from a staff level? I'm sure that that's something that happens. It's on our radar that how we coexist as such a diverse community. And not that we're talking about that same yeah. level of, but just discourse in ways that we stay together as a church family and as a body of Christ. Well, and I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's simplistic, but it is simple. The Middle East, even in Christ's time, was a huge melting pot mm-hmm. of many different cultures. Jerusalem was. Yeah. It wasn't just Jews in Jerusalem. And I think Jesus did a very good thing by saying that our highest priority, above all else, is love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think you can go and against your neighbor with a machete if you have that as your sure. most identifying principle. And even in a conversational machete yeah. within, within our culture here, yeah. to be able to say, wait a second, I can debate an issue, but I won't condemn you. I'm not going to attack you. I'm going I'm to attack your position. You may believe this politically or this spiritually or this you know, familial, sure. and I think it's dead wrong. So I'll argue the issue with you. But I will not say Randy's a bad person. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to attack you. We can leave, and then we we can argue the case. And then sure. let's go to lunch. You know, kind yeah. Of yeah. I mean, it, whatever the issue is, it should never keep us from loving that person. And and obviously, 
to trying to destroy that. But person. when our when our identity gets too tied up in our being right, mm-hmm. whether it's religiously or politically or socially or whatever it is, we have wars. Yeah, and that's why you mentioned yeah. the sermon that you know some of the horrible atrocities done in the name of religion. And you're like, well, how can that happen? But it really does because becoming being right and staying right and holding on to that at all, with all costs, it becomes more important than people. And then it goes back to the authority creates my orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting. It goes, you can trace it all the way back to the Belgian missionaries who, what their part of sharing Christianity was that they wanted Hutus, they wanted Tutsis to be against each other. That was how they governed them. And they said, you need to have as your highest priority that you obey the state no matter what. And so whoever was an authority was the person that they built. Mm. Wow. That's a cautionary tale for sure (laughs) of what can go wrong. So we're going to skip over a whole bunch this week, but we got to a whole bunch else I wasn't expecting. So it's all in all very, very good. You're a patient man, right? (laughs) (laughs) So one of our FHC takeaways from this past week asked, in your mind, what does it mean to be right with God and how does that affect your daily routine? Wow. And that's something that it seems trite just to read it. But the more I thought about it this week and when I first saw it, it's really the one I chose because really that's a question we have to ask ourselves each and every day to really decide how we're going to be and what kind of an image of God we're going to portray and we're going to project to people. So if you have something you'd like to share, if you're on Facebook, go ahead and and type that in the comments and we'd be happy to discuss that afterwards. And if not, head to the church app and let us know. I've got to say something. It's just killing me. (laughs) We've been reading a book called um, Liturgy of the Ordinary as a staff. We just finished it today. Okay. And what was the statement today about this very thing? Um, Oh. (laughs) uh, It was on the tip of my tongue and I now have lost it. I don't have to say anything after all. Okay, well, we will. We'll, we'll, come, we'll come back we'll to come it. We'll come back to it next yeah, week. And if nothing else, I'm stick, trying to think of it myself. stick by on Facebook. <laughs> Final thoughts is while it is unlikely that our lack of or underutilized orthopraxy having a correct heart will result in the grand scale destruction and death of the proportions to the Rwandan genocide, we should never underestimate the damage we do to others and to the kingdom of God when we act in ways so opposed to that of the one we claim to follow and by following who we emulate, Jesus Christ. And that's something we can take with us each week. And upcoming this week, we're back to the, the pillars Reformation. of the Reformation, Reformation. Solar Christ, four. Solar Christ to uh, Christ alone. You're doing that one, right? Yep. Christ alone with Andy. All right. Well, you don't want to miss that. So Facebook friends, stick around for a few minutes, and we'll answer any questions and comments before we sign off. But for the podcast, until next Wednesday in Episode 75, this is Randy for Andy, Jeff, and Tom saying thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you then. <laughs>